0: Welcome to the Hellraiser Podcast. Hello there, and welcome to episode 13 of the Hellraiser Podcast. I'm Peter, and with me again is Phil. Hello. Hello. Hi. And today we're going to be talking about Clive Barker's film, Lord of Illusions, which is to date the last film that Clive Barker has directed. Shame. Yes, the third feature-length film he directed, and the last one. So the film was made in 1995, that's when it came out at least, which to put it into Hellraiser context, is three years after Hellraiser 3 and the year before Hellraiser 4. So when this came out to the world, all they knew about Hellraiser was 1, 2 and 3. And in terms of Clive Barker, we had had Candyman as well, which was based on a short story of Clive Barker's, which actually came out the same year as Hellraiser 3, 92, and the same year as Lord of Illusions, Candyman 2 came out. Candyman farewell to the flesh so this film was released in 1995 in a slightly shorter version to the one that Clive Barker would have preferred the world to see and I just want to say now we are going to be talking about the director's cut of the film which we have and have just watched this is slightly longer than the original theatrical version it's in fact 11 minutes longer and Clive Barker has said repeatedly that the director's cut, the longer version, is his preferred version and the one that he wants you all to see. So if you haven't seen the film yet, then go out and watch the director's cut. Also, if you haven't seen the film yet, then maybe pause this and wait till after you've seen it before you listen because this is your spoiler warning for the podcast. We're going to spoil it. Right, so shall we dive in, Phil? Mm, not, yes. not dive in, Phil. No, That's a, That would be a different podcast. That would be weird. But we're going to dive into this film. So it begins kind of similar to Hellraiser. It begins with some graphic imagery to set you up right at the beginning that this is going to be a horror film. And it's going to be a Clive Barker film with some nastiness. And it starts off with the leader of a cult whose name is Nix being vested by a small group of people who used to belong to the cult who were led by the character Swan. Yeah, it's a really great atmospheric start to the film um yeah it sort of it reminds you of you know charles manson type stuff in the desert and yeah and i love i love things like that i love you love manson this, don't you i love <laughs> manson i don't love manson but i love this thing of cults and you know this old weird house that they're in with all mm. this graffiti on the walls and um so, oh, I, there's yeah there's a real sense of history and lots going on here and sort of dead animals outside yeah. and stuff and dolls and piles of rubbish. Yeah, it's really good, really good set scene. But I will just say, before that, we've got some writing on the screen that talks about magic and illusions, that sort of says that there are two versions of magic in the world. There are illusions, which are all fake, and there's real magic, which is more dangerous. And when we first meet Nix, he's sort of balancing some fire in his hand. So immediately you're told that in this version of reality... Magic is real, and Nyx is a magician, and he's got fire in his hand, but he's not being burnt, and he's sort of throwing the fire from one hand to the other. Yeah, and it's a really cool introduction to his character, because he's got people in front of him who are all sort of basically worshipping him and going, oh, he's amazing. Yeah. And um, and he's obviously got loads of power, but he looks like yeah, a homeless man. That's what's so great about it. He's not a brilliant, charismatic-looking guy. He's, he's just a kind he's of... He's like an overweight, middle-aged... Yeah. <laughs> Tramp character. Yeah, which is really cool. And uh, throughout the whole yeah. film, I I really want to know more about him and where he came from and how he got these powers and so on. And you don't really get any of his backstory. Not really, really. no, which is what's so great about the which, film. Which, again, like uh, like we talk about the Cenobites in Hellraiser, in the first Hellraiser, they're brilliant because they're so ambiguous and, you, and so unknown. Yes, it's a Clive Barker specialty. It is, it, and really? it's great. It's really good. And the Cenobites were taken off into sequels and they were explored and explained. And people have have said that that makes them less powerful. But um, there you go. Yeah, I think if you did a... You know, someone might look at this film and say, oh, we'll do a a prequel where you see see Hmm. Nix as a kid or, you know, as a younger man and all this kind of thing. And you're like, well, it'd be interesting, but then it's not necessary. Not really, no. So then Swan and his mates turn up. First time you meet Swan, who's going to be a big part of this film, and they end up besting Nix. And it seems the main reason they've gone there is because Nix has kidnapped this little girl, this 12-year-old girl, and he's keeping her chained up down in the basement, threatening her with a baboon. Mandrill. He says baboon in the commentary. Hey, it's listed as a mandrill.
1: That's true, actually, isn't it? Yeah. It is.
0: It's listed as a mandrill in the credits. <laughs> Apparently the baboon was very expensive. Really? He says in the, he had to fight for it because it was so expensive. God. In fact, he talks about this a bit later on, where Swan is, is holding up a car in the air, in midair, and Clive Barker says in the commentary he wanted that car to be spinning around, but you get to the point where you have to decide, you know, do you want that or do you want the baboon? Uh, <laughs> it's a common choice on most films, isn't it? it? Is. Do you want the baboon mandrill slash mandrill? But he was right in putting the baboon slash mandrill in the film, because you don't often see that in a film, especially not attacking a kid. No, it's bloody scary, actually. It is. It's hideous. It is really frightening. In a really good way. So there's this little girl and she's being attacked by a baboon mandrill. And then Swan and his mates burst in and get Nixon, kill him by putting this weird mask over his head. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty poor plan because obviously they've been (laughs) in his cult. They've left because this young girl, he's going to kill this young girl. and They don't want to be a part of that. And Swan's like the favourite son, isn't he? He's, he seems to be. Yeah, he's the one that Nyx really loves and thinks can have some of his power. Yeah, he so they wants to pass turn on up... his powers onto Swan. Yeah, and they they turn up with guns and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> knowing that this guy can basically get into your mind and which he immediately does to Swan. Yeah, <laughs> he puts his fingers inside his head and makes him hallucinate or see people as they really are, as they say later on. Now, and this that's great. He sees people's flesh rip apart and their shit jelly, I think. <laughs> they sort of describe it as sort of jelly and shit. <laughs> and like a mass underneath and they're just sort of globules. Yeah. And well, that's, that's brilliant. That is really, really good. Good special effect actually. We'll talk more about special effects later on, because this is early days of CGI and he uses a fair amount of CGI in the film, some to a greater extent like this bit here, and some to lesser extent, which we'll talk about a bit later on. Mm. But there's still lots of practical effects in the film which are brilliant and are really yeah. good. Fantastic. So they put this weird culty iron mask on him which appears to kill him and then they bury him deep. Well, importantly... Importantly. Importantly, Nick seems to be getting the better of them Oh yeah, and then yeah. Oh, yeah, your young girl the young girl shoots him in the back. That's true. Mm. And so they all shoot him and when they've got him on the floor uh, they put this iron mask on him, yeah, which binds him. So yeah, he can't do anything involving big fat screws that screw into his head. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. That's very Clive Barker, isn't it? It's very Clive Barker. Those bits were uh, had to be taken out for the theatrical release by the MPAA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Little shots of the screws going in, and then we cut forward to 13 years later. Because that bit in the that beginning set in the Mojave Desert is uh, set in 1982. Mm. If you're interested, and the rest of the film is set in the present day. 1995. (laughs) And we're introduced to our protagonist, our hero, whose name is Harry Damore. who is a character seen in Clive Barker's books before this. He was in the short story The Last Illusion, which this film is roughly based on. And he was also seen in the novels The Great and Secret Show, briefly, and Everville. So he's a character that Clive Barker had been writing a while. And he's played in this film by Scott Bakula mm. of Quantum Leap fame yeah, and Star Trek Enterprise, if you're into that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Which I've never actually seen, I must confess. I think I saw one episode of it a long time ago. But when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Quantum Leap. Yes. Which I think, actually, was the first reason I saw this film when I was a kid. Oh, it's really? Like, oh, look, it's it's... Dr. Sam Beckett in the movie (laughs) and then I was very shocked because he was saying the F word (gasps) and getting beaten up and he was really bloody all the way through poor Dr. Sam Beckett (laughs) (laughs) so yeah he's very good in this film I think Oh, he's brilliant, yeah. He's really, really good, and he suits the part down to a T. Well, the thing I like the most about him is, um, because it's a bit sort of uh, hard-boiled detective story, this story, isn't it? It's a bit noirish is. Well, that's the idea. It's supposed to be a film noir detective story slash horror film. Yeah, and the thing that I like about him is he can play that kind of role where you've got the kind of, you know, hard-bitten detective type guy who's down on his luck, but he's also very likeable. Yeah, he's he's, very he's sort of quite a charming chap and um, I never felt like sort of beaten down by his grizzled detectiveness in this no. film. I, I always kind of was with him and going with him and uh, yeah. Even though when you first meet him he's very down on his luck, he's depressed and he's locked himself up in his apartment and he implies he's been boozing, talks about a, a wife he had in passing, tried that, been there, done that, didn't work. Yeah, because the other side to his character is he's not just a normal detective. No, no, he's not. (laughs) No, he's um, into the occult or... Or it keeps finding him. Yeah, they imply. Yeah, so basically he keeps being drawn into these cases that have got dark and hellish undertones. Yeah, when we first meet him, he's sort of wallowing in a recent case where there was a young boy who was possessed by a demon in Brooklyn. And he was there when the kid was exorcised and the demon spoke to him and... There's little flashbacks to this demon, this Brooklyn demon, and they're brilliant. I love mm. this demon. So he's sent to LA initially for a completely different case. He's sent to just follow this guy. It's an insurance fraud, isn't it? Yeah. Um, this guy who's who's been off philandering and spending loads of money, and he's just basically sent down as a private investigator to follow him around and watch him playing around with some naked ladies. Mm. Not a bad job? Not a bad job for... What is it? Ten grand? Ten grand, yeah. Nice. But the guy happens to go into a fortune teller and then run out horrified. Of course Harry DeMoyne is interested in this. He wants to go and find out what's going on. Mm. And inside he finds one of the men who was part of the group that went to the cult and killed Nix. Who's Mm. been stabbed up. He's got loads of knives in him.
1: Yeah, well. Voodoo
0: ritual. He immediately gets attacked doesn't he? By some total (laughs) psychopath. Yeah, this little feral, bald nutter yeah he's crazy what do you think of this character i think his name's miller i i like it yeah yeah i like him initially when he's sort of like an animal and then there's there's a bit later on where he's a bit too much he's a little bit silly yeah i mean uh, yeah i don't like it as much when he's talking but (laughs) the 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 initial idea of, of some guy who's really like total psychopath who's just literally tearing doors down yeah that's great you you know you can hit him and smash him up and he, he won't stop coming for you you know that's very frightening and he and cool knocks him out the window and he falls down like a few flights and smashes on the floor but then later on it turns out he's got up and walked off yeah so he's quite hardcore so um harry has to best him and then yeah sees the fortune teller all stabbed up yeah, The the guy from Nix's thing. And um, also... There's another guy there, the character yeah. Butterfield, who we did see earlier on at the very beginning of the film. We see him as sort of a lookout, really, at the cult. And he sort of comes in and says, Hey, Swan's here to Nix. So he's he's sort of Nix's right-hand man, as it were. Mm. And he is quite an odd character in this. He's a horrible, violent person. He's always wearing very tight leather things. Yeah. <laughs> Clive Barker on the commentary describes him as sexually ambiguous. I'm not sure how ambiguous he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's certainly a very strange guy. Um, I do feel a bit sorry for him, actually, in a weird way. Well, you do at the end. Because he's... Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, but, you know, even at this stage... Um, really? Not not at this stage, but even at this stage, you can see where it's going for him. Because when he was back with Nix at the beginning... Um, He's like, "Do you want me to kill Swan?" And Nix is like, "No, no, no. You don't like him, do you?" And yeah, that's obviously, true, actually, yeah. Swan is the favourite son. Swan is the one with the power, like Nix. Yeah, this guy's like the second son who keeps getting passed over. Yeah, he hasn't really got any power or anything. He's just a just a guy. Yeah, a sick guy. He's mean though. Mm. And he ends up running off, leaving Harry with this guy Quade, who's been stabbed up. Yeah. Quaid sort of says some cryptic things to him and then dies. Mm-hmm. Howie's not terribly impressed with this. No. But fortunately, the police are very uh, accommodating. And Yeah, they don't ask him too many questions. They go... No, they just go... Oh, oh yeah. okay. Oh, they've heard of him. Oh, it's you, is it? Okay. yep. Yeah. Then we cut to Swan, who is now a famous and rich stage magician. Illusionist. Illusionist, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And he is married to the lovely Famke, J- is it Jansen or Jansen? Jansen, I say. Okay, well With let's some... say that for now. Well, however you like it. You know the lovely, lovely lady. Lovely Famke. Lovely Famke. We'll look all of that from now. So he's married to lovely Famke, whose name is Dorothea in this film, and they've got a sort of manservant butler called Valentin. But Swan seems a bit sort of aloof, and he doesn't really want to get involved in conversations about day to day things he seems very distracted and depressed yeah, she's, he's not very happy he's he. not very happy and she doesn't seem very happy either and this is all kind of because there's a feeling in the air that Nyx is going to return and so Dorothea sends Valentin to find Harry Damore because she's read about him in the papers and she hires him to basically look after Swan really and yeah. see, find out what's what's behind his current ennui and there's a the thing about tarot cards as well he's seen something weird in the cards And she's basically just hiring him for five grand a day, which isn't bad. No, it's excellent. But when Valentin first picks up Harry, they have this conversation in the car about, you know, how Swan is an illusionist. He says, you know, it's all fake. Whereas later on, it actually becomes clear that he's actually he was a magician who did real magic. Yeah, and we'll find that out later. We we find that out. But yeah, I don't. You know, you don't. I don't warm to Swan. To Swan at this point, I don't. And not throughout the rest of the film either. No. He's uh I mean and that's not nothing to do with the acting or the actor. It's it's to do with the character, you know. It's a, it's annoying uh, that he has this power and he chooses to use it in this way. To me. Yeah, I I do for me personally I do think it's a little bit the actor as well. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think everyone else is is really good, but there's just something about him I think that I just find him a little irritating. In the film, and he's not in the film a huge amount. And I love all the other bits, and I enjoy most of the scenes with him. But every now and again, you sort of think, "Oh, come on," he seems a little bit weedy. Yeah, I, I, and I think yeah. that's partly the way he's playing it, mm. and partly you know the, the choice to cast this guy in the role. This is like the biggest role that I've seen this actor in, because he usually gets yeah. to play the weasily weedy characters, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's he's not he's pretty good. His name's Kevin J O'Connor and he's um he's in the mummy as a small part he's in Van Helsing as a small part as well mm yeah, he's normally the weird, weirdo sidekick, isn't he? yeah <laughs> I think personally in terms of acting, he's the only sort of weak ish link in the film mm and that's just that's just my personal opinion and mm-hmm. there you go okay so the first first thing that Harry does in his new job to look after Swan is to go to his magic show and watch him get killed. <laughs> so isn't doing his job terribly well at this point yeah this is a cool bit yeah the yeah with the knife it's a, the sword sorry it's a new trick that swan is trying out a new illusion he says where he's tied down he has to unlock himself and get himself out before these swords that are dropping spear his body which he doesn't quite manage to do and gets speared all over and dies yeah, it's a, a, quite a nice scene, this one, because at, at the beginning of the scene, the swords are dropping and he's just getting out of the way in time. Mm. And then one hits him and you, you are like the audience in the magic show going, oh, is that supposed to happen? Maybe, yeah. It, maybe it's a trick. Maybe it's another one. To. And then you kind of gradually see the audience getting more and more freaked out. And, and then the way it's screaming. shot and the way the music comes in, you think, oh, right, okay, now this isn't supposed to be happening. Yeah, it's really it's really good. This bit, is an actually. excellent scene. It's really good. So, yeah, he's, he's speared in front of everybody and killed Mm. and um, Harry goes underneath the set, doesn't he? Because he sees he does. something there. He sees, and there he finds Butterfield and Miller, who beat the crap out of him. Yeah. But he manages to dispatch Miller at this point. Yeah, <laughs> he kills him. He does, he kills <laughs> him. He impales him on part of the set, which is a big sort of tube that spews out sand. And that's a brilliant image as well. Yeah, it's red, red sand. Red sand, so it's skewered through his body, there's blood everywhere, and it's through him, pouring red sand out the other side. Yeah, that is really good. That's one thing I will say about this film, that it's full of amazing imagery. And mm. I mean, you would expect this from Clive Barker mm. because of the way he writes, the way he paints and does his drawings and everything. That this film has loads of really iconic moments mm. in it. And it's a bit weird that this film isn't better known, really. Yeah. You don't really hear it talked about very often. It is but it's full of amazing stuff. So then it turns into more of a detective story with Harry trying to work out what's going on. Because he's heard mention of Nix. He's heard mention of him referred to as the Puritan. He manages to find a woman who was also there when they went to the cult and dispatched him the first time. But she's gone a bit loopy. She's in a psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. She freaks out talking about Nix is coming back and then she dives in front of a car and kills herself. Yeah, and another really great bit here. I think some uh, this film is really good at, at showing those moments that are quite hard to write. It's um, uh, c- quite hard to put from books into film, I would mm. say, because um, here she's walking along with him, talking, and then she sees a guy digging a big hole. He's like a maintenance guy. Yeah. And you really get that feeling that she's, you know, remembering when they buried Nick's. Yeah. In the ground, and then she runs out in front of a car and gets killed. And then as Harry looks back, you know, two hands yeah. appear on the side of this uh, hole, and he's like, <gasps> and it's just the guy getting out the hole. Yeah. But it, it, I think that works really well in this little moment. There are lots of moments in the film where the dread and the anxiety builds up and builds up, and Mm. then you get a release of tension. And it really works. Yeah, absolutely. So Harry's on the trail, and he goes to the Magic Castle to interview some magicians, doesn't he? He does. And he meets a wonderful character called Walter Wilder, who's a magician, who, if you've only seen the theatrical version, I don't think you see that bit, because that bit's been cut. Mm. The little meeting with him at the bar. But he's good fun. And yeah. then there's a wonderful short scene with uh, Vincen Schiavelli, who you will know immediately if you see him. He's the guy who lives on the train in Ghost, and he's been in lots of different things. Mm. He's he's always wonderful, brilliant character actor. Yeah. And he's in it very briefly, although he's quite high up in the credits at the beginning, I noticed, <laughs> when I watched it, which maybe was part of his contract. But it's, again, t- talking about Swan and... How he was he was wrong. He was all wrong. They're talking about illusions and you know everything's an illusion. And then when Swan gets mentioned, everyone sort of goes a bit quiet and clams up and is like, no, that guy was that guy was all, all weird. No, I don't want to talk about him. Yeah, but they basically know, don't they, that mm. he was doing real magic. Yeah, but they don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. And then Harry eventually manages to break into a secret room and finds a file all about Nick's. So at this point, he kind of knows most most of the stuff that we know. Yeah, and even though he is a guy who does these cases, these dark cases and, mm. and strange things, he's not, at this point, ready to believe that Nix is actually going to come back from the oh, dead. Oh, no. he Well, he seems to think that everyone is terrified that he will come back from the dead, but of course he won't because that this is real life. Mm. But he wants to find out exactly what happened to try and put the pieces together and work out why everyone thinks he's going to come back from the dead or if he did in fact die mm. and i think all this stuff with the magic castle and stuff like that is is really interesting and it's a good way of again sort of showing a strange side to the city you know it's not just a t- typical detective story going around talking to people it's no. you know going stealing files from a magic safe that's got mm. knives on it that's going to chop your hands off and, and everyone like that. is interested in magic people love magic mm. and you always want to find out how things are done and I believe, I think listening to the commentary, I think uh, Clive Barker said that they talked to some magicians or to like the magic circle or someone about, about the film and how they were going to film it. And they sort of promised they wouldn't show how anything was done. So, you know, they wouldn't show behind someone's hand doing a card oh. trick or anything like that. They were going to treat magic very respectfully. Mm-hmm. Magic as in, you know, as in illusions. Yeah. <laughs> real, real magic done in the real world. Mm-hmm. Or is that real? Well. Because I've seen some things, I don't know how they do it. Exactly. No idea. David Copperfield, he can fly. (laughs) I saw that on the TV, so it must be true. Well, exactly. It is not hands that call us. It is computers or iPhones or anything else you might be using to listen to this. I don't know how this bloody thing works. And then he ends up having a romantic affair with Dorothea, who is the widow of Swan. At yeah. the moment still, anyway. It's been a very strange relationship, hasn't it? Because she Well, she kept saying that she didn't marry him for love and Yeah, and that they weren't really together. Not really, no. So he that he starts to get the idea that maybe she was just wanting his money. Yeah, but it turns out twist <gasps> she was the little girl, the twelve year old girl that they rescued at the beginning of the film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So she owed him. And she he did. he loved her. He did love her. In his own way. Yeah, in his own weird way. <laughs> yeah. But her and Harry get it on. Mm-hmm. And while they're getting it on, you see Valentin make a phone call and you think, oh, what's he up to? Yeah, he's basically, up until this point, kind of been trying to put Harry off yeah. this investigation and he's actually offered him a lot of money to go away. Yeah, he has, yeah. Um, he's trying to, yeah. He's trying to get him out and he's sort of implying, he tells Harry that Dorothea wants him to go even mm-hmm. though she wants nothing of the sort and he finds that out yeah so at this point I'm thinking what's, what's he doing you know, yeah what's he's a bit he looks a bit shady in this very strange so yeah he makes this phone call and they they get it on yeah um, then after they've got it on there's some kind of weird apparition in the house now we need to talk about this <laughs> <laughs> so this is the only bit in the film I think where the special effects are slightly a bit ropey is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I so mean, most of it is is really good. The special effects are great and they use CGI sort of sparingly and it works really well. Quite certainly, actually, in this yeah. film. This bit, however, they they crank up the CGI and it was still in its early days. So there's there's a bit here where modern audiences would not forgive this film nowadays for doing this. In 95, it would have looked brilliant. It's sort of a figure, a weird figure who folds himself up like origami and then sort of flies around. But it does look pretty computery by today's standards. It does. And, but then at the same time, I think that this idea, it's a very Clive Barker idea mm. and it's a very bookish idea, if you know what I mean. Oh like yes. Yeah, if you, imagine if you, that in, oh, in if you read yeah, if you read it and you'd be like, and then he the character he folded he himself, pulled, up, <laughs> himself up like origami. And I think um I think you're right about the special effects, but I think to be fair to the guys who did it, it's quite a hard thing to actually put oh, into it's a visual ridiculous. medium. <laughs> <Someone> <laughs> to says, be told he's gotta be to make he's someone... gotta fold himself up like origami and then he's gonna kinda of fly around and, uh, and you'll be like oh, Okay, Clive, okay. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I definitely agree that this bit is a little a little bit ropey, mm. but we forgive them that because the rest of it is really good, and it's as you said, it's quite subtle in places, and it mm. works. It's really nice some of the some of the CG. I mean, the yeah. practical stuff is amazing, but some of the CG is just enhancing things. Very good. Yeah. But Harry sort of works out that something weird's going on, and he works out that Swan is isn't dead. Yeah. And that's brilliant because he opens up the coffin and rips his jaw off. Yeah. It's a fake body. Yeah. And that bit's brilliant. That is cool. And so what happened, Valentin phoned Swan, Swan turned up and made an illusion or some real magic that then chased them around a bit and, to break them up, I suppose. So Harry's worked out Swan's not there and he manages to find him because he ends up at Swan's funeral and Swan is there. He goes to his own funeral to watch from the trees. Yeah. So Harry follows him. Harry spots him. Yeah. And, uh. Swan tries to kill him. Yeah, this is the bit with the car hovering. Mm. Yeah, he yeah. lifts up a car using his mind and is hovering it over Harry's head. So, this is the scene where he basically fills Harry in on what's been going on, what yeah. happened with Nix. Magic is real. I can do it. He can do it. He's going to come back. Yeah. And he was scared. He killed, he pretended to die because he wanted to get away from Dorothea so she wouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. So she wouldn't be a target. Ev- yeah, he knew everyone else had been killed. It's basically, I mean, the guy Butterfield is kind of going around torturing people and trying to find out where Nix is buried. Yeah. That's why he's killed everyone. I mean, that's why you see him kill Quaid, because he's torturing him and Quaid's going on and on that he doesn't know where Nix is buried. And so he kills him. Whereas, unfortunately, Butterfield does get his hands on Valentin. And in a really horrible moment, he gets a scalpel out and threatens to pop his eye out. Oh, This is really horribly cuts like the inside of his mouth. Yeah, um, and you can feel that. Ah. And then he puts it to his eye, and you're sort of wincing in your chair. And then Valentin says, All right, I'll tell you. That's interesting, isn't it? Just to go back to that scene with the floating car, mm. um, I think in a lot of films of this n- genre, there's a lot of back and forth of like, well, we'll go here and then you tell me what you know. Well, I don't know anything. Well, you go there. Yeah. Uh, or I must leave her because she'll be a target. It's really good that he says that Swan says, look, I, I need to get away from her. You know, if I fake my death, then no one will come looking for me and she won't be a target anymore. And Harry just goes, look, if this bloke comes back from the dead, then he, he is some kind of God and he's going to want revenge on her because she shot him yeah. and <laughs> he's going to find where you are. Mm-hmm. And the other guy goes, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Which I really like. I really like that because sometimes you just want someone to say something sensible. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's actually a good thing about this whole, this film in general. The writing is really good. It actually, especially Harry's character, mm. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and the and the way he performs it is great as well. He's he feels real, grounded in reality, and everything he says makes sense. You're like, yeah, I, yeah, that's what you should be asking. I want to know that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So now we've got to the stage where Butterfield is kidnapped dorothea and valentin he's gone up and he's dug up nix and also he sent letters out to every cult member who in the past 13 years has gone on with their lives and they've got normal everyday lives i mean these could be people that you meet every day uh-huh. but they get a letter summoning them back to the cult site and they immediately kill their families and just wander off which is horrible this bit's brilliant and it's again great. i think this bit wasn't in the theatrical version either Which I can kind of see why they cut this, because it is horrible. I mean, you you graphic... Well, not graphically, but you do see murdered children. It's disturbing. Which is... It it made me go, whoa, because Mm. you never see that, you know, in films. Hardly ever. No. And and there's there's light music playing over it as well, which enhances it. Yeah. It's a really, really good scene. It's very kind of chilling and, like, whoa. And it's amazing... That they've gone on with their whole lives and been completely normal. And then as soon as he said, right, Nix is coming back, they've all gone, right, dropped everything. So they spent this whole time yeah, still waiting for him. Like, and at the very second, they got the letter as well. Because the, with the, where the kids are murdered, they're having breakfast. Mm. And the dad has his face in his cereal. The kids have just been stabbed. One of was on the floor, it looks like they tried to get away probably and she caught them on the way out. That's horrible, isn't it? That that's the real shocker is the mother yeah kills her husband and two kids mm-hmm. and then picks up the keys Ca- and she's perfectly and walks calm, out. She, yeah, calm. Yeah. Calmly picks up the keys and she leaves. That's a very frightening idea. Yeah. Very good. And it also enhances how scary Nix is because he has this much power over them all that they're willing to do anything for him. I don't know, he was only juggling a fireball. <laughs> <laughs> So they all end up back where they started, in this cult hut, basically, where they all live. And Nix is there, and Butterfield has his own little toolkit that he's made, he says. He's created it so that he can bring Nix back to life. Yeah, he says, I mean, this is in the scene where he's making Valentin dig the hole, isn't it? So they can get Mm. Nix. He says to Fanka, lovely Fanka, (laughs) Oh, I've made this myself, and I've had to... She says, "Like, why didn't you do this earlier?" And he's like, "Well, I've had to. I didn't have the power to bring him back. Yeah. Before this, I've had to learn. So this poor guy, you know, yeah. This guy spent thirteen years trying to get back into the good graces of this dead bloke. Yeah. Well, and he and he brings him back to life. He does. They get his horrible, rotted body brought on high as his right hand man. Yeah. And what does he get? He gets kicked in the nuts. Yeah. So hard it shoots him across the room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Nick's comes back to life. Butterfield's there looking ecstatic and the first thing Nick says is where's Swan? <laughs> yeah. And then beats the crap out of Butterfield. Yeah. And Nick looks all rotted and weird. Kind of a sort yeah. of stylized look to his face like it a is kind of spec- skull. Yeah, he's got um it's marks all over his face where the mask was on his was attached to his head. And these are yeah, very stylized, very designed. Mm. and sort of, you know, symmetrical. And it's great. I think it looks... I think it's brilliant. It I looks, really like certainly his looks face. bloody creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, poor Butterfield gets a bit of a slap and yeah. um, then at this point, the cult people are there, the worshippers, and they've cut off massive loads of their hair and mm. chucked it into a fire. Yeah, and they've got, you know, their scalps are bleeding as well because they've just ripped some of the hair out or got yeah. some scissors and ripped their scalps as well while they were doing it. Oh, God. And and then we get this bit, which is really horrible, (laughs) where he says, will you go down on your knees for me? Yeah, Yeah. will you kneel for him and will you suffer for him? Yeah, and they break glass bottles and kneel down in the broken glass. Yeah, really heavily. That's the scene that I remember when I saw this years ago. Mm. I remember that stuck in my head. Horrible. Horrible. And Nick says he's going to teach them the values of death that he's learned. Yeah, what he's learned from the grave. And so they say, oh, OK, that sounds good. Let's do that. But what yeah. he actually means is he's going to kill them all. Yeah, this is a really horrible moment because he says, well, I escaped the grave. So now I've got to give something back to the grave. And these yeah. people are like, Woo, yeah. And so and as he's saying that, <laughs> he makes a huge pit underneath him and he's holding Dorothea. And, and they all think he's going to sacrifice her. But instead, he He turns... He makes it rain. Yeah, he makes it (laughs) rain inside the the hut, which has sort of sandy floor. The floor turns into sort of muddy... Mud? Mud. (laughs) And everyone gets sucked down into it. And when they're all into it, he turns it back into solid ground again. Apart from a couple of people who are half in, half out. Yeah, so they're all stuck, basically sucked down. And it's funny because it's only at this moment when they're all sucked down, he's like, well, I'm going to give you lot to the grave. And mm-hmm. they're all like, ah, and they realise they've been tricked. Yeah. And he says, it's really heartbreaking because he's like, you lot are not worthy. You've just waited for me like yeah. lambs all these years. Mm-hmm. And they've done everything for him. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that's pathetic. And that's a real that like, horrible. and then there's sort of a shot of someone's face is half out of it. There's an arm and all you can hear is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as if they can't breathe and they're all obviously dying. Horrible. Oh, it's bloody horrible, isn't it? Incidentally trivia fans this scene is taken from a different short story in the books of blood called the skins of the fathers there's a scene in that story where everyone gets sucked into the ground and then the ground turns back over into solid ground and they're all stuck in it half in and half out so there you go that was a little trivia fact for you there and the rest of the story more or less is based on a short story called the last illusion from the last book of blood Hmm. Hellraiser podcast at hotmail.co.uk. We have eternity to know your feedback. So then, Harry and Swan turn up, having discovered that Valentin and Dorothea are missing. They work out what's going on. They get to the house. They realise that Nix has been resurrected and they go in to save the day, which isn't quite as easy as they think it's going to be. No, I mean, and you really see here, Swan is just really annoying because... He, this is the bit where he's, yeah, he's, he's really weak and feeble and doesn't really want to help. I mean, I know he's scared. He spent his whole life being scared, I guess, of yeah. Nix coming back. And it's now happened. And sort of also part of him is still sort of drawn to Nix. Mm. So I can see that. But yeah, as you say, he just comes across as a bit of a weaselly little toad. <laughs> such a thing can <laughs> a exist. A little bit, yeah. A <laughs> weasel toad. Yeah. So Harry turns up. Nyx realises that Harry is there for lovely Famke, so drops her down the hole, which Harry manages to quickly grab her and rescue her. Mm. At which point Swan comes in, there's a big final confrontation between Swan and Nyx. Mm. Which doesn't go very well for Swan. He's actually bested pretty easily at this point. He is, and this is another cool bit where the camera yeah, like yeah, yeah. he uh, nicks makes motions with his hands and then the camera kind sort of goes into swan's body and you actually see bits of him breaking yeah you see his bone breaking like his you brain see go yeah his brain pops which Speaking cool. of which, earlier on, when Nix gets resurrected, there's a wonderful shot where the camera sort of goes into his bullet wound in his chest, mm. goes into his body, around his body and focuses on his heart, which starts beating and everything starts puffing up. And, and that, that's practical, isn't it, that, I think? I think so, yeah. I and... mean, it's probably put together with computers, but yeah, it's all but... real Yeah, models and things. It's not, yeah, it's not CGI, because you would tell. Because I've seen that done, obviously, now. You see that done quite a lot in CSI and stuff like and that. House and, and House. And yeah. House, whatever. But in this, it looks really good. It's really, really good, real yeah. And cool. And also, it's that bit where you finally go, oh my God, he is coming back to life. Yeah. From the inside out. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah, so it's similar things here when he breaks Swan. <laughs> mm. He's disappointed with Swan, isn't he? And this is the he bit... Is. as are we. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the bit where... It's it is quite frightening because he says, you know, you can still join me. You're still my favourite one, and he says, like, I did trick you. Basically, I'm not here to be a messiah. I'm I'm here to murder the world. Yeah, because this seems to be something that's happened while he's been dead for thirteen years. Mm. He's decided that he is going to yeah murder the world, which is a great line. Yeah, and he says to Swan, "Do you want to join me?" And Swan says, "Um." Then he says, "Of course, I'll have to kill you at the end of it." He says, "Yeah," and he says, oh, "I'll have to kill you at the end," and he's like, "Yeah." Okay. Oh man. Yeah. And I don't know whether I couldn't I, I guess it's personal opinion on what's going on at that bit. Is he really being drawn in or is, is he just saying yes to, to buy time? Mm. We don't know. But that's that's fun. Yeah. That is fun. But yeah, he just wants to end everything, doesn't he? Nix is He yeah, does. Yeah. Yeah. So then Nix gets bested. Well, he they start to best him. He takes a couple of times for him to actually get killed. But lovely Famke turns up and shoots him again. Like she did at the beginning of the film when she was 12. But this time, she shoots him in a very important place, which we haven't talked about yet. But Nyx has a small anus in his forehead. (laughs) (laughs) You could describe it that way. Uh, In the commentary, Clive Barker does refer to it as an anal opening. I think that's something like that. And it's got a little thing poking out of it. And it's quite reminiscent of like early David Cronenberg films, Mm. body horror. But it's a small hole in his forehead there's something sticking out of it and it comes into play when he's making it rain inside earlier on when he's killing everyone this sort of anus is pulsating <laughs> <laughs> in his forehead yeah and he, basically Dorothea bursts in and shoots him right in the forehead anus yeah because Harry tells her he does he's, yeah. he's screwing at Harry over at this point isn't he he, he gets is, in Harry's head gets, oh yeah he, gets, he puts his fingers into Harry's sorry yeah. we've skipped forward a bit before this, Harry has a big fight with Butterfield, as all this is going on. Mm. Just after Nix has got Swan up against the wall and smashed up his insides, Butterfield turns up and is beaten Harry up. Yeah, even after that rejection, he's still going yeah. hell for leather. Well, he had a big... F- Butterfield had a fight with Swan earlier on, which we didn't mention either, where Swan sets his head on fire. Yes. Which is brilliant, because obviously a man with his head on fire yeah. for a moment. Yeah. So Swan did actually use a few of his, use a bit of his power there, which was good. Yeah, but this is a great technique that you often get if there are two sort of protagonists. Like, you've got Harry, who's the, you know, every man. He's a normal person. You've got Swan, who's the magician. Mm. And you've got a big, powerful baddie. Mm. So really, it, it's not fair for Nix to fight Harry because it's, it's too overbalanced. It's mm. too, you know, he would overpower him. So you've got Swan, who turns up to fight Nix, But also the audience wants to see Harry... Beat someone up and fights someone right at the very end so they, they give him Butterfield to have a big fight with mm. and he manages to kill him and this is brilliant because yeah. during the fight they're having Butterfield accidentally punches the wall and he punches an electrical output and his whole body gets electrocuted and the burns on his face explode yeah. and blood gushes out of them it looks great brilliant yeah. this is some really good there's some really good gore in this film mm. So that's that. So, so that's, sorry. That's the, that's the bit we skipped over. Yeah. And after that, then Nick starts beating Harry up. Yeah. Getting in his mind. Getting in his mind. stuff. He sees Dorothea as the sort of, you know, shit mud person. Mm. Her face cracks open and she's got this jelly underneath. And then he, but he knows that it's all in his head and he's sort of going, okay, I've got to get to grips with this. It's going to be all right. And then she bursts in and shoots him, shoots Nick in the forehead anus. Mm hmm. Which still doesn't kill him. <laughs> no, he's got time for one last illusion. Okay. Yeah, one last illusion, which is as he said earlier on, he, he showed Swan what people really look like. They look like jelly, mud and shit. He said, I'm gonna I'm gonna murder the world but using, you know, what I really look like and then all this stuff starts squirting out of him, which is it implies it is like, you know, shit mud, mm. isn't it? It's just horrible fecal oh, so weird. that's pouring out of his arms and spiky his, and spiky, kind of, yes spiky but it's like oh, i don't know how to describe it but it's really cool and it spurts out of his eyes yeah and then his sort of whole body sort of ripples and it's just all going off and spurting and rippling mm. and so he's sort of hovering over the pit that he created earlier on and he's going to kill everyone but Swan isn't quite dead, manages to lift Harry up, propel him across the room, and Harry plunges his hands into Nix's face and throws him down the pit. Yeah, and he falls a bloody long way. He does. And then lands in some lava yeah. at the bottom. <laughs> That's how far he falls. Yeah. It's the centre of the earth. Yeah. And, and then it's all... And it's all finished. It's all finished. But it's not but finished. But it's not finished because no. there's one more one more illusion after the last illusion. And yeah, Nix is coming up again to get his final revenge on Swan by picking up Swan's body, using his brain and just ripping all the flesh off his skeleton Mm -hmm. and just destroying him completely and leaving him in a heap on the floor before Nix explodes himself. Yep, and Harry and Dorothea Dorothea manage to get uh, out of the house. They're out. They're out, safe. And that's that. That's the end, yeah. It's all wrapped up and we just see a few lines from Nix talking about murdering the world. and Yeah, and just to remind the... you what's happened. Yeah, and there you go. Credits roll. A very good film. A very good film, yeah, we haven't said that yet, but we both really, really enjoyed this film. Mm. It's great. It's very good. And we would heartily recommend you all watch it. Yeah, it's really nice tone to it. Good special effects, great story, great acting. Uh very unusual. Very unusual. Know, yeah. Very Clive Barker. Yeah. You, know, you couldn't mistake this for anybody else. No, there's lots of sort of sexual things in it as well. There's lots of sort of homosexuality and sadomasochism. You know, all the wonderful Clive Barker things that Yeah, there's lots of um yeah, his his trademarks I suppose that are just kind of dotted yeah. in there. But it doesn't overpower it or overwhelm it. It's just a really cool film. And uh I'm really glad that he got to make it and I think, you know, Without too much trouble. Without too much, yeah, let's just talk about that now. Let's talk a bit about the behind the scenes stuff. So, he made the film, he wanted to make it half detective film noir, half horror. So, he did that. They had some previews in 1995, and unfortunately, some of the people complained that they thought the film was too wordy, it was too dialogue heavy, too talky. And so, the studio freaked out, as they do, mm. and told him to take out 20 minutes. And make it quicker and make it basically more of a horror film with slight detective overtones. Now, he ended up taking out 11 minutes for the theatrical version, which are most of them are talky in inverted commas scenes. So, and it's very interesting if you've got the director's cut DVD, then do watch the commentary because he does mention it every time there's a scene that was cut, and he says this one was cut. Um, it's quite funny actually because the, the commentary was actually for the laser disc. So every now and again he says, I'm really glad this scene can be put back into this laser. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it seems like when Valentin first turns up to get Harry D'Amour and he's in the car talking about illusions of magic, that was all gone. Similarly, the scene in the car with later on with Swan and Harry when they're on the way, that was all cut. And like I said earlier on, the bit with the magician, the Walter. child murder, yeah, the child murder was cut. Yeah, which... Well, different reason, probably that was <laughs> for time, and and there were also very short uh, MPAA cuts as well to little violent bits, sort of mm. you know a bit here and a bit there. But there were quite a, quite a few bits that were chopped out for time, and yeah, as, as I said, it was eleven minutes shorter. And they released it, and I'm not quite sure how well it did at the time. No, I and mean, I mean, there mean... wasn't a huge buzz. I mean, I don't remember it creating a huge buzz. And I was watching horror films in '95, so I thought I would have remembered that. Yeah, no, I don't remember it either. Same for me. I mean, like, I was, I was still quite young. I was in my teens. so. But it, we'd all talk about, like, Candyman, for example. Yeah. And it didn't become one of those films where, oh, have you seen this? It's really good. You should see it. So and there's, people there's... just didn't seem to be talking about it. No, and no, I really, if anybody's listening to this and they haven't seen the film, you should definitely watch it because I think so many of the Hellraiser films have got elements that are yeah. in this film. Like, uh... Well, you've got Deader. Def- deader? Do you think Data has a, with the with the, well, cult, you got the cult, cult yeah, and leader all, and that kind of thing? Yeah, true. And Inferno. I was going to say, Inferno was there. you know, Hellraiser set in a film noir, which didn't quite work as well as this one. No, and I, so I think, you know, there's a lot of things that Hellraiser fans would really enjoy in mm. this film, apart from the fact that it's not about Hellraiser. No. But, um, and really I just want to well say as well, I, I talked about people not really knowing that the film came out and not know much about it. That's, of course, just talking about England, so listeners in America or anywhere else in the world let us know if it was really popular where you are in sort of 95 if people do know about this film growing up and if it's the sort of film, film where in the playground you say hey you've got to see this film stuff yeah, like that yeah that would be really cool to, to find out if anybody has whatever your experiences with this film were yeah let us know if, do if let you, us know, you know. because um, it doesn't seem to be a film that's talked about that much and and that is a shame and we should talk about it more often yeah so all in all a really good film that everyone should watch Very good effort by everyone in it. And Mr. Clive Barker, you should definitely direct some more films. Well, that's the question. I mean, why... We don't really know exactly why he hasn't made another film. Now, there's a few reasons it could be. It could be because, you know, once again, the studio interfered and he thought, I don't really want to be doing anything now that isn't my own vision and I can't put it out like I want to, wherein I could be writing books and that's exactly how I want it to be and I can put those out instead. Mm. Or it could be that he had enough money, didn't have to make any more films and he just didn't enjoy the process as much as writing I suppose because he kept writing he's still writing to this day. I mean there's lots of yeah there's lots of different things on the internet about you know interviews with him and and other people saying different things about him. I mean there is a talked about film he's apparently trying to make at the moment which is based on the Tortured Souls figures Mm. so he might be making that as a sort of an animated film Mm. but I've not really heard anything concrete about that it's been on Wikipedia for ages yeah, because he's been a producer, hasn't he? But, oh, is, yeah, um, that's, yeah, he has been working in the film industry. He's been producing things and he's been quite hands-on, I think, with a couple of adaptations of his own work. Mm. But he's not chosen to direct anything else. Yeah, since. and I, I think he's got a really... I think he's a good director. He's a good director. He a good director. So like, he should do it, do it again. Yeah. Right, I think that sort of wraps up our discussion about Lord of Illusions. We're going to talk about in later podcasts at some point about the other films that Clive Barker's been involved in since sort of producing or films that are based on his short stories, some of which are brilliant. And we're also going to talk about The Books of Blood and his writing as well at some point as well. Mm. So if you have any feedback for us, let us know when you first saw Lord of Illusions, if people talk about it, if, if it's big in your sort of circle of friends. Hellraiser podcast at hotmail.co.uk uh, we've also got a website hellraiserpodcast.com twitter at hellraisercast if you fancy following us there and yeah thank you for listening once more we will see you next time or at least you will hear us next time in the meantime thank you very much Phil thank you Peter and we'll see you shortly take care thank you all bye